The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 54 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the classic radio theater featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two horror episodes of The Sealed Book, starring Philip Clark. We'll begin after this short break. for one season in 1945 on Mutual, The Sealed Book offered mystery and terror tales written by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan, the same writing team that brought us The Mysterious Traveler and The Strange Doctor Weird. Produced and directed by Jock McGregor of Nick Carter Master Detective fame, it aired March 18th until September 9th, 1945 on Sunday nights from 10.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. Each week, after the sound of a great gong, host Philip Clark observed that the mysterious silent keeper of the book has opened the ponderous door to the secret vault wherein is kept the great sealed book in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. Here are tales of every kind, tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds, strange and terrible beyond all belief. Produced on the East Coast, it featured New York's best supporting players, including Mason Adams, Jan Miner, Maurice Tarplin, Lawson Zerby, and Bill Lipton. Time now for the first of two horror episodes of The Sealed Book, starring Philip Clark. In this, the very first episode in the series, an eccentric who collects souvenirs from murders decides to acquire the ultimate item for his collection. Here's The Hands of Death on The Sealed Book, from March 18, 1945. <laughs> the book. Once again, the keeper of the book is ready to unlock the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the lore and learning of the ancients, all the strange and mystifying stories of the past, the present, and the future.
keeper of the book. What tale will you tell us this time? First, I must unlock the great padlock which keeps the sealed book safe from prying eyes. <laughs> now, what story shall I tell you? I have here tales of every kind. Tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds, and of events strange beyond all belief. <laughs> there. Now let me see. Yes. Here's a tale for you. A dark story of two brothers. One of them killed because he could not help himself. The other one was interested in murder, too, but in a very different way. The title of the tale is The Hands of Death. <laughs> Here is the tale as it is written in the sealed book. It began in San Francisco on a night of thick, suffocating fog. A young man hurrying homeward turns a corner and bumps abruptly into a huge figure striding toward him. Oh, oh. oh excuse me. Fog is so thick I didn't see you. It's all right. Uh, tell me, do you live here? Hmm? Here in San Francisco? Why? Well, yes, I do. Do you know where Edward Morlock lives now? Why, no, I... No, I never heard of him. Now, if you'll excuse uh, me, but... Wait. But I, I've really got to get home. And... I just want a light from your cigarette. Oh, of course. Here, I'll hold it for you. Uh, just hold it like that. <laughs> what is it? What's the matter? Nothing. It... It's nothing. It's my hands, isn't it? They frightened you. No. No, it's, it, it's nothing. My hands, they disgusted you. No, no, of course not. They frightened you because they're not like other people's hands. No, 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 let go of me. I assure you that... I, you I, thought I was a freak. Let go of me. You're crazy. I'm not crazy, do you hear? I'll show you. No, no. I'll show you. <laughs> Phantom Strangler is at work in San Francisco. <laughs> Jennings will be interested in that. I beg your pardon, Mr. Morlock. <laughs> huh? Oh, yes, Jennings? Uh, the postman just brought this package, sir. Oh, package, eh? Give it to me. Yes, sir. Now we'll be over to the window. Of course, sir. Ah, this is close enough, Jennings. Uh, this package, I suppose you noticed it came from my agent in New York? Yes, sir, I did. Then perhaps you can guess what's in it. Hey, Jennings? No, sir, but I have no doubt it's another nice addition to your collection of objects of having to do with famous murders, sir. <laughs> yes, indeed, a nice addition. But speaking of murders, uh, have you seen this morning's San Francisco paper yet? No, sir. Well, look at these headlines. Uh, read them out loud. Playboy murdered in fog. 
Phantom Strangler breaks victim's neck. <laughs> then he's back. Your brother Kane is back. Yes, back in San Francisco, looking for me. And he'll keep looking for you. And if he finds you, he'll kill you. Yes, he's dedicated his life to that purpose. And all because he feels I cheated him out of his share of the money our father left us. Oh, it's a great pity. Yes, sir. Of course, we know the truth. Quite so. As you say, we know the truth. However, I hardly think Cain will find me here. No, sir. So we'll forget about him. Uh, Jennings, tomorrow afternoon, a neighbor is dropping in for tea. A neighbor, sir? Yes, Inspector Tennant, the head of the local police force. He's coming to view my little collection. Of course, sir. He may bring a friend with him. So have plenty of everything? Yes, sir. Well, that's all. What are you waiting for? Excuse me, sir. I, I wanted to speak to you about this check you gave me yesterday for my month's salary. Well, what about it? It's for the usual 500, isn't it? Yes, sir, but uh, you see, Mr. Morlock, I, I've been thinking in these times I ought to have more. More? Just how much do you consider your services worth, Jennings? Shall we say a thousand a month? A thousand a month? It's quite reasonable, I think. After all, if I were to tell the authorities all I know about your father's will... And how it happened that the entire fortune came to you and none to Cain. Never mind, I... Jennings. I'll make out another check. Thank you, sir. But be careful you don't drive me too far. Or you may regret it. Oh, I think I'll be safe enough, Mr. Morlock. After all, confined to that wheelchair as you are, you need me. That's enough. You'll get your check later. Yes, sir. Very good, Mr. Morlock. So you're getting greedy, are you, Jennings? I must find some way to discourage you. Yes, some way to discourage you. <laughs> the next afternoon, Edward Morlock, the strange crippled collector of murder relics, enjoyed himself thoroughly playing host to police inspector Tennant and Mr. Norman Smith, a criminologist friend of his. He began by showing them his latest acquisition, the one that had come by mail just the day before. And uh, now, gentlemen, look. Cashmere shawl? Yes, but no ordinary cashmere shawl. Until last month, it was owned by two very old sisters who lived in a dingy house in Baltimore. In Baltimore? Yes. You mean that's the shawl? Exactly, gentlemen. That's the shawl with which the two old ladies were strangled by a sneak thief. Well, I'll be darned. It's a prize worthy even of my collection, which is, I flatter myself, the most complete of its kind ever assembled. Funny hobby, I'd call it. <laughs> Every man to his taste, Inspector. Murder is your business, but it's my hobby. Now, if you'll just pull back those curtains there, the rest of my collection is on the shelves behind them. These curtains? That's right. <laughs> well, I'll be Jacob. <laughs> this is most interesting, Mr. Morlock. Yes, I knew you'd think so. Look there on the wall. An authentic headsman's axe. It was used in the brutal murder of the Baron de Morlay, uh, an ancestor of mine in the 15th century. And right there below it is the blood-stained dress worn by one of the victims of Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. 
and on the next shelf you see... And so there, gentlemen, you have the highlights of my collection. How do you like them? Well, if that's the sort of thing you're interested in, I'll say your collection does seem complete. Thank it is you. indeed. In fact, there's really nothing missing except perhaps a murderer and a victim. What did you say? That the only thing missing from your collection is a murderer and a victim. <laughs> a most interesting thought, Mr. Smith. And after all, why not? Why not what? Oh, excuse me, Inspector. I was just thinking out loud. Oh. Well, I'm afraid we've got to go now, Moloch. Eh, hey, Smith? Yes, you're right, Inspector. It's been a great pleasure having you, gentlemen. And I do hope you'll call again. Yes, Mr. Morlock, you rang. Yes, Jennings. Before you help me to bed, I want you to mail these letters. Yes, sir. They are to major newspapers in San Francisco and contain a message to be inserted in their personal columns. A message? Yes, to my brother, Kane. We used to communicate this way in the past. But, uh, what... uh, here is a copy of the message. You may read it. If the gentleman with the unusual hands will visit his brother in Santa Villa, he will learn something to his advantage. <laughs> You're inviting him here? Exactly. You've decided to play safe, to trap him, and turn him over to the police? Oh, 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 oh. oh that's clever of you, Jennings. Yes, very clever. But you've already proved you're clever, haven't you? Now, just take these letters out and mail them, and soon, quite soon, I think, we shall be seeing my dear brother Kane again.
now for the rest of my story, The Hand of Death, as it is written in the sealed book. After Edward Morlock had put into effect his plan to bring his brother Cain to him, he sat in his wheelchair and waited, seeming much amused at some secret thought of his own. One day passed, then two, then three, and then the newspapers carried strange new headlines. Extra, I read all about it. Phantom Strangler in Los Angeles. Extra, read all about it. <laughs> so Brother Kane was in Los Angeles last night, Jennings. Yeah, he's getting closer. Shouldn't be surprised if he arrived here tonight. I, I don't like it. Oh, nonsense, Jennings. You know you've got nothing to fear from Cain. Unless, of course, you're so careless as to make some remark about his hands. I know, but he intends to kill you. I think I'll be able to control him. I want you to bring me a glass of milk. Cain is very fond of milk. Glass of milk? With a triple dose of sleeping powder in it. But I don't understand. Never mind. Just do as I say. Uh, what's that? I imagine that's Kane now. Kane, Here, already? Quick, I'll let him in. You get that glass of milk ready. And bring it in when I ring. Yes, sir, when you ring, sir. Oh, come in, Kane. I've unlocked the window. Yes, I'll come in, Edward. Now that I've found you at last. Well, I'd hardly say you found me, Kane. Uh, I sent for you. It's the same thing. Now I'm where I can put my hands around your throat at last. I'm going to kill you. Do you hear? Kill you. Kane, sit down. Uh, what? Sit down. I want to talk to you. All right, I'll sit down, but you can't change my mind. Tell me, Kane. How many people have you killed since you got out of the penitentiary? Seven. Seven murders? They looked at my hands. They were disgusted. I didn't kill them. My hands did. You hear? I didn't want to kill them. But my hands killed them anyway. I, of course, I understand. Your hands. Your great-grandfather had hands like yours, you know, Cain. Don't talk about it anymore. Of course not, Cain. But you must be hungry. I'll ring for Jennings. He'll fix something for you. Yes, I am hungry. But please, Kane, don't startle the poor fellow. You know, he's very much afraid of you. Why? Why is he afraid of me? It's your hands. He says they give him nightmares. My hands give him nightmares? Oh, you mustn't blame him, Kane. He can't help it. My hands give him nightmares. Yes, sir. I've brought you a glass of milk, Mr. Morlock. My hands frighten me. Oh, thank you, Jennings. Uh, just put it down here. Yes, sir. Uh, why are you looking at me like that, Jennings? Uh, I'm not looking at you, Mr. Kane. You're looking at my hands. They upset you. They give you nightmares. No, 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 Mr. Kane. That's not true. I'll show you. I'll give you a reason to be afraid of my hands. Mr. Morlock, help me. I'll oh, show you. I'll let show you. Let go. You're you. kidding. Help. Oh, oh, oh. There. That'll teach you to be afraid of my hands. You can let him go now, Kane. He's dead. My hands, they've killed again. Yes, he's dead. 
Oh, you've been very wicked, Kane. I didn't want to kill him. My hands did it. My hands, you hear? You must be quiet now, Kane. You must rest. I didn't want to kill didn't want to kill him. Here, drink this milk. Then lie down and rest for a while. We'll talk some more in the morning. All right. I'll drink it. I'll take care of everything. That's right, Kane. Lie back and sleep. Sleep soundly. <laughs> so you would blackmail me, would you, Jennings? And you would kill me, would you, Kane? But I've been too clever for both of you. <laughs> Hello. Hello, police headquarters. Connect me with Inspector Tennant, please. I want to report a murder. And so, there you are, Inspector. Kane was in the penitentiary for assault with intent to kill. Apparently, he escaped since then. He's been seeking for me... Meaning to kill me. Good heavens, Morlock. Then he's the strangler who's been doing all these killings. Yes, I'm afraid so. Oh, and I never guessed until he showed up tonight to kill me because he thought, you see, quite wrongly, that I had cheated him of his inheritance. Jennings bravely came to my rescue and Kane throttled him. Then I tricked Kane into drinking some drugged milk and... Well, there you are. But why, man? Why? Why did he kill all these people? Because of his hands. His hands? Well, you saw his hands. Tremendously strong. Not hands at all, really, but more like demon's claws. Cain is morbidly sensitive about his deformity. When he feels someone is frightened by his hands, he kills them. Just like that. It's a good thing we got him at last. You can take him along now quite safely. But be sure to keep him well locked up, Inspector. And don't let... Anyone get within reach of his hands. A few weeks later, Kane Morlock entered the lethal chamber of the state penitentiary. Edward Morlock, the condemned man's invalid brother, was one of the few spectators. Kane Morlock, with his last breath, cursed his brother and swore that someday he would be avenged. Then he died. The following day, Inspector Tennant and his friend Norman Smith paid Edward Morlock another visit. Oh, good evening, Inspector and Mr. Smith. It's very kind of you to stop by tonight. We dropped in to see how you were making out, Mr. Morlock. Thought maybe, what with your trip yesterday and the shock, that perhaps... No, 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 I'm quite all right, thank you. What must be, must be. You see, I'm a philosopher. You have somebody looking after you? Yes, Philippe, a Filipino boy, is taking poor Jennings' place. Oh, and uh, gentlemen, that reminds me. I have something here that will interest you. Something that'll interest us? Yes, here on the table beside me. Uh, this jar... Oh, a burial urn, isn't it, Mr. Morlock? Exactly. And in this burial urn are the ashes of poor murdered Jennings. Jennings' ashes? Yes. You mean you're going to keep them with you? What, of course, gentlemen. 
I was very fond of Jennings, very fond. What more fitting than that I should keep his ashes to remind me of his years of faithful service? Besides, well, I can always look upon them as part of my little collection. Your collection? Yes, Inspector. It was Mr. Smith here who pointed out that complete as it was, it lacked both a murderer and his victim. Well, here are the ashes of the victim. Great heavens. That's rather a unique item, Mr. Morlock. Yes, indeed, an item any collector would be proud of. But the really choice addition to my collection is here in this box, which just arrived. Uh, would you care to look at it, gentlemen? What in the world? Well, now you needn't guess. I'll lift the lid and... Uh... See. Merciful heavens. A pair of hands. The hands of your brother Cain. Exactly. I can't believe it. But what is so strange about it, gentlemen? There are the ashes of a murder victim. Here are the unique and terrible hands that throttled him. Where in all the world will you find a collector who can boast such items as these? You must be mad. <laughs> Morlock, did you plan all this from beginning to end? Plan it, Mr. Smith. But how could I? You're quite mad. We could never prove it. You could prove nothing. <laughs> nothing. Inspector, I think we'd better go. Yes. Come on, let's get out of here before I do something I'd regret. Call again any time, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Easily upset, weren't they, Kane? Upset by your hands. Your great, strong hands that are going to become the prize items of my little collection. The distorted hands of a murderer. Ooh, how cold they are. And yet I can almost feel the murderous strength in them still. You wanted so bad that you'd close your hands about my throat, didn't you, Cain? But it's too late now. You're dead. And your hands are dead, too. Lifeless. Would you like to see how your hands look at my throat here? I'll place them there for you. See how nicely they fit around my neck. Just as if they... No! 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 Let, let go of me! Your hands! They're choking me! I... I can't breathe! I... Warlock, what is it? Where are you? Inspector, look. They're on the floor. Good Lord. It's Morlock. And... No. No, it can't be. His brother's hands are clutched around his throat. They've strangled him. <laughs> and that is the story of the hands of death as it is written in the sealed book. Edward Morlock was quite dead when they found him with his brother's severed hands about his throat. But they called his death heart failure. <laughs> For who would believe that two dead hands by themselves could wreak the vengeance that Cain Morlock swore to have before he died? <laughs> and perhaps it was heart failure. <laughs> perhaps Edward Morlock... Thinking he felt the hands move, died of sheer terror. <laughs> You'll have to decide for yourself which is true. The answer is not written here. <laughs>
the sound of the great gong tells me I must lock the book once again. One moment, keeper of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time? Next time? (laughs) Are you sure you want to know? Perhaps my next story will be about you. For I have here all the stories that ever happened, and many that have not yet come to pass. But I'll find one for you in just a moment. Keeper of the book. Have you found the story that you'll tell us next time? Yes, yes, I found one. It's a story about a man who found the secret of immortality, of life everlasting, and how he tried to use it to make himself master of the earth. The title of the tale is The King of the World. (laughs) Be sure to be with us again next time. And the great gong heralds another strange and exciting story from... (laughs) The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. That's the premiere episode of The Sealed Book with the Hands of Death, starring Philip Clark from March 18, 1945, heard over the Mutual Network. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the radio stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes 
for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another horror episode of the sealed book after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, it's a horror episode about a treasure cave with a curse on it. Anyone who goes in to claim the treasure never comes out again. Here's I'll Die Laughing, starring Philip Clark on the sealed book from May 27, 1945. again the keeper of the book has opened the ponderous door to the secret vault wherein is kept the great sealed book in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. Here are tales of every kind, tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds, strange and terrible beyond all belief. Keeper of the book, I would know what tale we tell this time. Open the great book and let us read. Slowly, the great book opens. One by one, the keeper of the book turns the pages and stops. Ah, the strange story of three people who ventured into a long-lost cavern, a cavern cursed by the ancient Aztecs, a tale called I'll Die Laughing. tale, I'll die laughing, as it is written in the pages of the sealed book. It begins in one of the big old houses on Knob Hill in San Francisco. John Dayton, a huge, fat, middle-aged man, is laughing at a story that Dr. Smith, his personal physician, has just told him. <laughs> oh, say, Doc, that's a good one. <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> You'd better remember the other things I told you, too, John. 
I will, Doc, I will. <laughs> Thanks for dropping in. That's quite all right. <laughs> Bye, John. Goodbye. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> what did he say? Did he think the dizzy spells you've been having were serious? Oh, of course not. <laughs> he said I'd live to be 90. He just told me to stop working so hard at the office and learn to take things easy, that's all. You have been spending <laughs> too much time at the office, John. Well, I'm thinking of taking a vacation. A long vacation. Now, please excuse me, dear. There's someone upstairs in the study waiting to see me. John, who is that horrible-looking old man waiting up there for you? Well, I'll explain that later, dear. <laughs> oh, say, when Harvey gets here, send him right up to the study, will you? All right, John. <laughs> Oh, Harvey, come in. Hello, Laura. John Poon said he wanted to see me. Is he in? Yes, he's upstairs now. Laura, listen, is it about us? Oh, no, he doesn't suspect anything. This is about something else. He has a perfectly weird old man up there with him now who... Yes, get... I know. An old prospector named Gippy Gordon. Said him? What do you mean? Well, this Gordon came, so I talked to him. He told me a ridiculous story about a lost Aztec treasure in a secret cave in New Mexico. I knew it was just the kind of thing that John would love, so I told Gordon to come and see John here at the house. And I warned him to be sure not to mention having spoken to me. But why, Harvey? I want John to decide to go looking for that treasure and to take us along. I, I don't understand. Darling, John is like a boy in many ways, but he isn't a complete fool. If he finds out about us, we'll both be out in the cold. You'd lose this lovely mansion and all the things you enjoy so, and... I'd lose my job as lawyer for the John Dayton Enterprises. Oh, I would. Tell John we love each other and that... And live in a garret someplace on love and a crust of bread? No, Laura, it wouldn't work. No, no, I suppose not. Oh, what are we going to do? Suppose something should happen to John. An accident, say. Harvey, you don't mean Hello, that... Harvey, is that you? Uh, yes, John, I'm on my way up now. Well, hurry up, old man. I've got something mighty interesting for you. Right away, John. <laughs> Harvey, this is Gimpy Gordon, a prospector. Gimpy, this is Harvey Lewis, my legal advisor. How do you do? Howdy, Mr. Lewis. Harvey, I've just paid Gimpy here $5,000 for a map showing the location of a buried Aztec treasure in a haunted cave. What? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I'd better sit down on that one. <laughs> well, where is this treasure? Well, Harvey, you've heard of the Devil's Cavern, haven't you? Tremendous cave mentioned in early historical records of the Southwest but apparently lost for the last three or four hundred centuries? Why, yes, I read something about it. It's supposed to have miles of winding passageways in which a man could wander for weeks without finding a way out. That's the one, and I found it. Huh? Well, the gist of the story is this. In 1554, a Spanish looting expedition led by a nobleman named Domendez had acquired a great wealth of jewels and gold figurines, which Domendez put into three small brass-bound chests. I see. Go on, John. Well, this treasure just made Domendez greedier. A story whispered to him by an Aztec priest led him to Devil's Cave, and Domendez and his men entered the cave only to find out they'd fallen into a trap. Well, the Aztecs attacked them, and all were killed but Domendez. He found his way into a great central cavern about a half mile from the entrance of the cave. And in that cavern, there's a natural shaft, like a well. Uh, the Devil's Well, that's the name of it. It bubbles and gurgles in a way to drive a man mad. Oh, take it easy, Gimpy, take it easy. <laughs> well, Harvey, Demendez reached this Devil's Well. And when the Aztecs closed in on him, 
He threw the treasure into the well and leaped in after it himself. So the priest sealed up the cave and put a curse on it. A curse? Oh, come now, John. You don't believe in that. Oh, it's true. It's true, Mr. Lewis. The curse was that nobody who went into the cave to get the treasure could ever get out again alive. They was doomed to die there. I see. But you say you went into the cave and came out again alive, so it can't be much of a curse. Oh, but it is, Mr. Lewis. It killed Pedro, my Indian, and it's still after me. I wouldn't go back there again if it was worth a million. But assuming your story's true, how could anyone find their way into the cave and out again? There's a string marking the route, Mr. Lewis. Two months ago, me and Pedro found the entrance. We tied the string to a rock and went in, letting it unroll behind us. Took us a week, it did, to find our way to the big room where the devil's well is. But we made it. Huh? And then what happened? Well, I, I had a hundred-foot rope and some big hooks. We fished around in the well for the chests, and by and by, we drew one of them up. You actually fished up one of the treasure chests? Yeah. It was about so long and so wide and six inches high. I shook it, and we could hear the jewels rattle inside of it. Where is it now? What happened to it? Well, when Pedro seen the chest, he grabbed for it and tried to push me into the well. Well, I ducked, and Pedro got hold of the chest when all of a sudden he fell over into the well with it. Well, what did you do? Oh, I run for it before the cave and the well could get me, too. I followed the string back, and I didn't stop till I was outside. All the way, I heard Pedro calling to me for help. And now, now whenever I hear the well, I hear him too calling to me, still calling to me. Well, Harvey, that's the story. And making all due allowances, I think it's well worth investigating, don't you? Hmm. Say, it is an interesting yarn, John. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to look into it, whether we find any treasure or not. Good. Then we'll do it. You and me and Laura. It'll be a vacation for all of us. Oh, no. I... No. No. What is it, Gippy? What's no. the matter? Well, he looks no. scared to death. No, I... The devil's well. I hear it again. It's calling me. Oh, come now, Gimpy. You're letting your nerves get the better of no, you. No, no, no. I hear it, I tell you. Listen. We don't hear a thing, Gordon. It's just your imagination. No, no, no. I hear it. I hear it. It's there, in the well. I hear it, and Pedro's calling to me. I hear him. Oh, nonsense. It's I just your imagination, Gimpy. Looks as if he's going to faint. Gimpy, help me. Save Pedro in the well. He's calling to me. John, grab him. Good grief. He's dead.
And now to continue the story, as it is written in the sealed book. The doctor's examination showed heart failure to be the cause of Gimpy Garden's death. Not an ancient Aztec's curse. In spite of the tragedy, John Dayton went ahead with his plans with undiminished enthusiasm. Laura, his wife, protested. But Harvey added his persuasion to John's, and at last she agreed to go on the treasure hunt with them. A week later, they were ready. John's car loaded with all the necessary equipment. Harvey, I've hardly had a chance to speak to you all week. Before John comes and we start out, you must tell me, what are you planning? Why, Laura, darling, we're just going on a treasure hunt. An expedition from which I expect to return with a fortune. A fortune? From a lost cave? You're not serious. Oh, but I am. It'll be a fortune that I can claim for my own after we return. A very beautiful fortune. You, my dear. Harvey, you don't know what you're saying. But I do. It's the only way out. What I had in mind when I sent Gimby to John in the first place. I've been thinking for a long time that John would have to have an accident. Harvey, I'm afraid. You mustn't be. Just leave everything to me. I'll know what to do when the time comes. And when we get back, we'll be able to be together always. Yes, yes, I know. But suppose someone suspects. No one will. After all, on an expedition of this kind, accidents are bound to happen. No one will be able to prove a thing against us. And just imagine how Gus Wilson and Duck Arnold will look when we invite them over and show them a couple of chests full of old Aztec jewelry. (laughs) Their eyes will pop right out of their heads. (laughs) John, for heaven's sake, stop laughing. I can't stand it anymore. Oh, what do you mean, stop laughing? Why, Laura, what's wrong with laughing? I like to laugh. And when I die, I hope I'll die laughing. (laughs) Well, if you don't stop it, John, I'll die. After that, all three were silent as they drove. The afternoon of the second day, they turned off the highway and carefully following Gimpy's chart, threaded their way through a series of narrow canyons until they reached a spot between two towering cliffs. Beside a great black rock gaped the dark mouth of a cavern. John directed the unloading of the car, then he led the other two a few feet into the mouth of the cavern until he found there the end of a slender white string that led into the cave, losing itself in the darkness. Look, there's the string. Well, was old Gimpy Gordon telling the truth or not? Certainly looks as if he was. We're not going to explore the cavern now, are we? Let's wait until morning. Oh, nonsense, my dear. Now is as good a time as any. Harvey, you and Laura go ahead with your flashlights. Laura can carry the rope and you carry the food. And I'll bring the grappling hook. All right, John. Ready, Laura? Now, wait just a second. (laughs) I ought to try this little special device I brought along to make sure we don't get lost. Uh A bottle with a sprayed top and a colorless liquid in it. Uh I don't get it, John. What's that for? I told you. It's to make sure we don't get lost. Now, watch. I'll spray some of the ink in this bottle on the wall of the cavern. There. Now, I've sprayed a spot on the wall. Now, shine my flashlight on it. Why, well, I don't see a thing. 
That's because the ink is a special invisible type. You see, the ink only shows up when you look at it through special glasses. Now, here, Harvey, put on these colored glasses. All right, John. What do you see? Why, George, you're right. The ink has a greenish glow when you look at it through the glasses. Ah, <laughs> you see, it works. I'm going to use this bottle to spray the ink on the walls of the cave, and it'll mark the proper passage. Oh. John, you always have to amuse yourself with something silly like that, don't you? It isn't silly. It'll give us a double check on the right route so we can't get lost. Now, you two start. I'll bring up the rear, and every ten feet, I'll squirt a little of this stuff on the wall. Then we won't have to worry about Gimpy's string. Uncertainly, the little party groped its way forward through winding passageways that opened constantly into dozens of other passages. They would have been lost in no time but for the slender white string that led them ever deeper in the echoing depths. Half an hour later, they came out into a great chamber far below the surface. Huge stalactites hung from the ceiling, glistening damply in the beams of their flashlight. They advanced a little way into the underground chamber and put down the ropes and other equipment they were carrying. A low gurgling and moaning of water echoed through the cavern. That's the sound Gimpy mentioned, Harvey. It means we've reached the devil's well. Look, over here. A round opening in the floor of the cabin. Yes, this is it, all right. John, be careful. Don't worry about me, Laura. You stay there with our equipment if you like. Say, water isn't gurgling anymore. No. Oh, but Gimpy said it came and went. Must be an underground stream causing it. Say, Harvey, shine your light. Hmm, a hundred feet at least. And to think there's a fortune down under that water. By George, before we go back, what do you say we drop the grappling hook down and see what we can find, huh? Now? Yeah, sure. All right, John, I'll admit I'm kind of curious myself. <laughs> Harvey, get me the rope and the grappling hook, will you? We may bring up one of those chests the first try. Of course, John, it won't take a second to try our luck. Uh, Laura, have you got the rope there? Yes, right here. Harvey... You're, you're not going to do it now? Yes, yes, I am. There's no sense in waiting. We'll be out of here in 30 minutes, free to live our own life just as we wish. Have you got that rope yet, Harvey? It was tangled, John. I'm bringing it now. Just keep your nerve, Laura. It'll be all over in a minute. Right. Now, here's the rope, John, and the grappling hook, too. Oh, fine. Just give me a hand with it. Harvey, what are you doing? Just giving you the rope, John, but not quite as you expected. Yeah. Now try to move your arms. Well, I... You, you've bound my arms to my sides, Harvey. What's the meaning of this? I'll tell you what it means, John. It means that you're about to die. Die? Have you gone crazy? You fool. Why do you think I arranged this silly treasure trip anyway? You, you arranged it? Why, I arranged That's it. That's what you think. But you're wrong. Old Gimby Gordon came to me first with this ridiculous story, and I passed him on to you. I knew to give Laura and me a the opportunity we needed to get rid of you. Laura, is this true? Are you in this with Harvey, this... This murder plot? Harvey, hurry. Please hurry. Oh, so it is true. You two brought me here to kill me. And I thought... <laughs> what a joke on me. You won't think it's a joke for long. Because in just a minute you're going down in that well, John. The story we'll tell is that you got tangled in the rope, tripped and fell in. And if anyone comes to fish out your body, John, it was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone comes to fish up my body. 
Oh, that's a joke, Harvey. <laughs> you don't know how good a joke it is. <laughs> but you will. You will. <laughs> Mommy, make him stop laughing. Make him stop laughing. <laughs> now make him stop. Goodbye, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Together. It's all over now, do you hear? It's all over. Yes. Yes, Harvey, I, I'm all right. Only let's get away from here. Let's get out of here. No! to continue the story as it is written in the sealed book. Laura and Harvey, with a guilty feeling in their very souls, started back to the entrance of the cave, following always the trail of the slender white string. But their progress seemed so slow, all too slow in their hurry to get away from what they were leaving behind in the devil's well. Harvey, hurry. Can't you go any faster? No, Laura, I don't dare to. If I tried to go any faster, the string might break and then... What is it? Why have you stopped? I've come to the end of the string. What do you mean you can't have? We're not anywhere near the entrance yet. The string ends here. It's tied to a piece of rock. No, no, it can't end here. It must be broken. Look for the other end of it. Oh, here's the rest of it. Neatly coiled up on this ledge. Oh. And here's an envelope underneath it. A fresh white envelope. It was, John... It's one of John's jokes, that's it. Quick, what does it say? Dear Laura and Harvey, hmm. for some time I've known what was going on between you two. It's time you were both taught a lesson. <gasps> when old Gimpy Gordon came to me with his story, I saw my way clear to do so. Hmm. And I have worked out a plan. A plan that will be in operation when you read this letter. This is my plan. Hmm. As we enter the cave, I shall send you two on ahead. I shall follow and remove the string from the entrance of the cave to the point where you find this letter. After we have reached Devil's Well, 
I shall contrive somehow to slip away from you two, leaving you alone together. Oh, no. You will, of course, follow the string back toward the mouth of the cave. But when you come to the end where this letter is, you will be forced to stop. So John planned this. He wants to kill us. No, wait. I shall be able to find my way in and out of the cave by means of the special luminous ink, which I shall spray on the walls as I go in. My colored glasses will enable me to see the ink, where your eyes will see nothing. I shall leave you alone in the cave for 12 hours. And if at the end of that time you can still stand the sight of each other, I shall cheerfully step out of the picture. For during those 12 hours, you should get well acquainted with each other's true character. What a beast he is. You ask why I do this. Because Dr. Smith has told me that at best, I can hope to live not more than six months. No. And under the circumstances, I don't much care what happens. My little joke on you is all the punishment I care to inflict. At least you'll always remember that a man is not a fool just because he likes to laugh a lot. Signed, John Dayton. That's all of it, Laura. Harvey! Harvey, listen! He's laughing, Harvey! He's laughing at us! Oh, stop it, Laura. It's just your nerves. You've got to get a hold of yourself. Well, we'll never get out of here. We never will, Harvey! That's why John laughed when you killed him. That's why he's laughing now. Laura, pull yourself together. He played a joke on us. And now he's laughing, laughing. You fool. We're going to get out of here. I tell you, we are. We're not. We're not. Never in a million years. We are, I tell you. The same way John planned to get out. He marked the walls of the cabin with special luminous ink, didn't he? Well, those marks will lead us out too, do you hear? They'll lead us out. No, no, they won't. You have to have special glasses to see it. Yes, but we'll go back to the well where we left the equipment and get the glasses. And then we'll be all right. Oh, no, he won't. That's why he's laughing. Because he had the glasses in his pocket when you pushed him into devil's well, honey. He has them in his pocket now. <laughs> And that is the tale of I'll Die Laughing, as it is written in the sealed book. For days, Laura and Harvey wandered through one corridor after another, seeking the entrance of the cave. John's laughter echoed in their ears, as time and time again they ran into blank walls. Weeks later, a searching party found their bodies lying a scant hundred yards from the entrance of the cave.
And now, keeper of the book, before you close the great book, show us the tale we tell next time. This one? Ah, yes. Why, this is amazing. It's the tale of a mad killer who lived alone in a great country house. That is, until two murderers came to live with him. A tale called Design for Death. Be sure to be with us again next time when the sound of the great gong heralds another strange and exciting tale from The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. And that's The Sealed Book with I'll Die Laughing, starring Philip Clark, from May 27, 1945, heard over Mutual. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 55 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 55 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>